Well, today we're starting a, a brand new 12-week series here at Big Valley called Standing Strong, where we're going to go through the book of First Peter together. Now, this past week, I was talking with one of our gals. She sits right over there. She was there last hour at 9 o'clock. Her name was Charlene Logue. She called me on the phone. She's always calling me. She's got the gift of encouragement, and she really does. And she'll, she'll call and just share thoughts with me and that are just really incredible. And she said, hey, Pastor Rick, I wanted you to know that when we start this series in 1 Peter, normally I read through the Bible every year. And what I'm going to do is for the next 12 weeks, I'm just going to read 1 Peter. And she may read through it, you know, one whole time, you know, in a day. She may only get through a piece of it. But she said, for the next 12 weeks, I'm going to keep my nose in 1 Peter. And then I'm making a commitment to, to be here to hear how the Lord's going to speak through you. And uh, hung up the phone and I went, man, what a great idea. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, maybe you do the same thing. Whether you're over in the venue, listening on live, you're in here, that maybe for the next 12 weeks, I don't know what your regular rhythm is. I don't know how you normally keep your nose in the Word of God. But, but maybe for the next 12 weeks, you'd say, I'm going to just read the book of 1 Peter. Read a little bit of it every day. Maybe read the whole book every day. And I guarantee you, if you do that, your life will not be the same. I guarantee you, you can't spend that much time reading through 1 Peter, not somehow have your life somehow transformed. But I also want to challenge you to do this. I want you to make a commitment to be here each of the next 12 weeks if God doesn't come back and make a commitment to be here to hear the messages from 1 Peter. Now, here's the deal. When I thought about this and I was kind of writing this out, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I, for some of you, I need to stand up here not as a pastor. Don't think of me as your pastor right now. What I want you to think of me is as your, your son or your daughter's softball coach or volleyball coach or soccer coach. We have a game every Saturday night or Sunday morning. And you wouldn't dream about missing a game. In fact, that's almost blasphemous. I made a commitment, man. My kid's going to be there. But you'll blow off a weekend. You'll blow off when the family of God comes together without even thinking about it. You make a commitment to stick your nose in 1 Peter for the next 12 weeks. You make a commitment to be here, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, for the next 12 weeks. Let me tell you something. Your life will change. Your family will change. It has to. There's power in this book. And so I just want to challenge you to do that. And why the, the name Standing Strong? Well, let me give you the backdrop to this letter, okay? You're all at First Peter. It'll be in your notes. It'll be on the Jumbotrons. Look at verse 1. This uh, letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany. Peter wrote this letter in hopes that it would circulate amongst these churches that were in these five areas. These were all providences within the Roman Empire. And so he writes a letter, much like you might write a letter, and he, he, he mails it off, and, and it would show up at these, in these homes or wherever these churches would meet in these five areas, and it was his goal that it would, you know, after maybe one congregation read it, they would, you know, fold it back up and, you know, send it off to the next church and the next church and the next church. So Peter has written this letter to this 
group of people. Now I want you to look at verse six. Verse six says, there's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Beloved, that was the understatement of, of the year. You see, when Peter wrote this, it, it wasn't easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Christians were being fed to the lions. Christians were being burned at the stake. Christians were being put into prison and, and, and brutally tortured. In 64 AD, Nero, who was the emperor, had burned Rome almost to the ground, and then he blamed the Christians for doing it, which obviously made everybody hate the Christians. Stories are told that Nero would take believers, and he'd put them on poles, and he would chain them onto poles, and then he would stick things in their mouths and cover their mouths, and then he would put pitch on them, and at night, then he would light them on fire. And Christians literally were the light poles when this was written. And so imagine you're strolling with your bride, hand in hand, guys, walking down a street, and what was lighting your path were human beings. This was a horrible time to be a follower of Christ. In fact, a lot of our brothers and sisters, a lot of our church brothers and sisters, denominations believe that the great tribulation took place right here under Nero. I happen to believe that there's coming a moment when uh, this thing called the rapture will take place and God will take his church, his bride, us, true believers out of here and that ushers in that seven year tribulation time. Well, a lot of our Christian brothers believe that that time actually happened right here under Nero. Beloved, our brothers and sisters in Christ went through some pretty awful things back then, things that none of us in this room could imagine. The worst thing that happens to any one of us, whether you're listening on, on live or over in the venue, is, you know, somebody calls you a Jesus freak, you know. What are you, what are you, a Bible thumper? And in our culture, Christians will even, you know, oh, dude, what was me? Someone called me a Jesus freak. That's about the worst that we're going to experience in terms of persecution, at least here in America. That wasn't the case to those that would have received this letter. This was, a, it was just brutal to be a Christian back then. In fact, after a few years after Peter writes this letter, he is then crucified for simply being a, a Christian. He's martyred. And history tells us that when he was being put onto a cross, that he told those that were killing him, look, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior died. And so what they did was they took the cross and they turned it upside down. Boom. And that's how Peter died. We don't know whether that's factual or not, but any way you look at it, we do know that he died a horrible death, Peter did. Dangerous time to be a believer. So Peter is writing to these followers of, of Jesus to encourage them. Turn to chapter 5 real quick, okay? Chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Peter says, my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you. 
These brothers and sisters of ours needed encouragement. This, this was horrible what was going on. It was just brutal what was going on. I'm sure many of them were, were afraid to name the name of Christ. I'm sure many of these folks probably denied knowing Jesus. And so Peter says, my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. One version says, stand strong in that grace. Beloved, the people that were going to get this letter were, were scared, they were afraid, they were hurting, they were discouraged, they were literally being killed simply because they named the name of Christ. So Peter writes this letter not to lay out some theology like Paul did you know, in Romans or Colossians. He's writing this as a pastor. He's writing this as a shepherd. And that's not to say that there isn't some theology in here or some doctrinal truth. There certainly is. But this is a shepherd, a pastor, who understands that these people are, are, are dying and they've watched their loved ones die They've watched their loved ones be eaten by lions. They, they've seen their loved ones be thrown into prison. And so he's writing to them to encourage them. He, he's writing them this great pastoral letter. He writes in hopes that somehow this letter would encourage and equip these brothers and sisters to stand strong in the midst of all these you know, crummy things that were going on in their lives. And it's been my prayer that as we walk through this together, and as you read this letter, you know, each day, and as you get involved in the daily meditation page, that would have the same impact on your life, that it would encourage you, equip you to stand strong when crummy things hit your life. Now look, none of us are going to be used as, you know, light fixtures. None of you are going to be fed to the lions. None of you are going to be put into prison simply because you're a follower of Christ. But the principles that we're going to learn in here apply because we all go through difficult times, all of us. This side of glory, we experience hard times. Life, you know, kidney punches us at times. Some of you are there right now. And so I hope that somehow as we go through this, wow, God would show up and, and, and the same thing that Peter hoped for would take place, that you'd be encouraged. So with that, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read the first eight verses together, okay? If you don't have a Bible, they'll be up on the jumbotrons. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and more and more peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his grace, great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. 
So be truly glad. This, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests pure gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now what I want to do is I, I, I just want to, pull out maybe three things, three things that I want you to remember when things get tough in your life, three things that I want you to remember when you're discouraged, when maybe life kidney punches you. Now, they're, they're super simple. I could make them really hard. That's not how God made me. They're, they're really simple, but I want you to know they're, they're really profound. And I guarantee you that if you'd, you know, you'd write it down, you'd put it in the forefronts of your memory, you'd, you'd write notes in your Bible or whatever, I guarantee you that when difficult times come, it'll make a difference in your life, the, these truths. So here we go. Number one, when things go wrong, stand strong knowing that God has chosen you to be a part of his family. When, when life kidney punches you, when you're discouraged, when things are going haywire in your life, you need to remember that God has chosen you to be a part of his family. And this is all about salvation. Verse 2 says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. One version says, dear friends, God the Father chose you long ago and knew you would become his children. Beloved, right out of the gate, Peter makes this unbelievable statement. He tells these brothers and sisters that are literally living in hell, hey, don't you forget, God chose you. You're a part of God's family. I mean, Peter didn't waste any time. He wants them to know you are chosen by God. You're a part of God's family. Now, what exactly is God saying here? Let me delve a little bit deeper here. Christian, Peter's saying that your salvation is no accident. He's saying that God chose you long before you chose him. Yes, there was a moment when somehow your faith was activated and and you made a, a profession of faith, you invited Jesus Christ into your life. But you need to understand, long before you ever made that decision, God had already chosen you. He's saying that even though God knew all about you, God knew, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly about your life, he chose you. He's saying that it was God who took the initiative to make you a part of his family. He's saying that it was God's idea to save you. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. 
You see, whatever day it was that you gave your life to Christ, and I know some of you know the exact day, you know, you, you walked forward in here maybe on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, you went into the altar room, maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade, maybe you were at a high school camp or a junior high camp, I don't know, but you wrote that date down. You need to understand something. Long before that moment happened, God had already chosen you. It was already done. And not only did he choose you, but he had a thought. He had a plan for your life. He appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. I don't talk a lot about feelings in here. God gave us feelings, and, and we have them for a reason, and they're beautiful things, but you have to be careful about them. It's the truth that sets us free, not our feelings. But I want you to know that as I was reading it this week, I, I began to think about my feelings and how that made me feel. To know that God chose me. God, God, God chose me. I was talking with a guy last week who didn't grow up in California and, and uh, he was um, recalling, he was recounting his childhood and he was doing it in vivid detail. He was remembering when he was in third and fourth grade growing up at an elementary school and they would have recess and always the two best athletes would come up, you know, at recess. And then they would pick the kickball team. I'll take him and I'll take him and back and forth it would go and before you know it, the, there'd be girls that were chosen and he was always the last to be chosen. And oftentimes, these two guys, these two, you know, good athletes, didn't even want them. No, you can take them. I don't want them. You take them. And he was recalling, and I could see the pain in his, you know, face, how embarrassing that was, how humiliating that was. And then he said, you know, and then I'd get on a team, and, you know, and you know, the captain would say, okay, you're kicking first, and you're kicking, you're kicking and they wouldn't even put me in, in the deal. I, ne I never got a chance to kick. And then we'd go out in the outfield and they just, you know, throw me somewhere around and say, you know, stay away from things. And Beloved, when God was picking his team, when he was picking his kickball team, I'll take you. Yeah, yeah. You, Art, want you. Yeah, I got to have you. He picked you. And he didn't pick you and say, hey, listen, whatever you do, you know, you ain't kicking, you ain't getting in the game. Just sit over there and don't do anything. No, he chose you and then he appointed you. He said, you're going to play right field. You're going to play left field. You're going to play third base. You're going to be the pitcher. You're going to be the catcher. I want you in the game. I want you participating. God picked you. He didn't have to pick you. But he did. Now, for me, this brought up a couple of questions. The first one being, why would God do that? Why would God pick me? You see, I know, I know me. I know how sinful I am. I know about all the crummy things I think about at times, even as a pastor. I wouldn't tell you about them. 
but boy, do I think about some things that are just really crummy. I know about all the crummy attitudes that I have at times, even as a pastor. I know all about the crummy things I say at times. I know all about my disobedience. I know all about my failures, my, my crummy habits, my, my hang-ups. I know all about the, the times I, I didn't love the way God commands me to love. I know all about the times I, I didn't show compassion to others the way God commands me to show compassion or the way I've been shown compassion. I know about all the times when I didn't show mercy to people the way God commands me to be merciful. I know about all the times when I didn't forgive somebody the way God commands me to forgive or the way that I've been forgiven by God. Why would God want me to be a part of his family? Well, the answer is not because of something I've done. It's just simply because of who he is. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of grace. Look at verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again. It's because of God's mercy that he chose you. It's because of God's mercy that you've been made a part of his family. It has nothing to do with how great a guy you are or how great a gal you are or what a fantastic guy that I am. I had a guy come up to me last night, new, visiting, and he said, I've been to a lot of churches and I've never had a pastor talk about all of their sin and junk and crud. <laughs> and I said, well, think back to every pastor you've ever heard. It's all true of them. Just because you walk with the Lord and go through all that I've gone through and they put a, a P and an A and an S and a T and an O and an R in front of your name doesn't mean that somehow I'm on the journey of faith just like you are. And I struggle at times. And I can think back, to especially those days be, before I knew the Lord and some of the crummy things I'd put into my body and into my nose and some of the crummy things that I would do to people. And God just said, I want you. You're talking to me? <laughs> you, you talking to me? Me? I know me. Yeah. You. Yeah. Let me add a little layer to this. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he, that's God, made the world... God loved us, and he chose us. Same thing Peter's saying. Before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eyes, God knew you. He loved you. He chose you. He goes on to say, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to him through Jesus Christ. And now he's going to add something, uh, a, a little bit more, a little layer to what Peter has said. 
This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. See, not only did he choose you, listen, listen, but when he chose you, it brought him pleasure. Yeah, Mark, yes. Rick, I want you. It brought him pleasure to pick me. It wasn't like, oh, man, I'm down to, you know, the, the last guy. All right. Come on, Dobbins, you're in, I guess, you know. No. Brought him pleasure to choose you, DJ. It brought him pleasure. That's just unbelievable. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. He says, how, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. I sat around and dwelled on that this week. I don't get it. You know, <laughs> it's impossible for me to understand why he'd pick me. And not just pick me, but have great joy in doing it. I suppose there's always some loser out there who thinks, well, yeah, when God got me, whoo-hoo, you know, that really made, you know, his day to get me. I, I, there's always somebody who thinks like that. I'm not one of them. I don't, I don't get it. It's impossible for me to understand it. But it's truth. God doesn't necessarily call us to understand everything. There are some things about God and what he does that we'll never understand. Uh, the great prophet Isaiah said, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and your thoughts, declares the Lord. There are some things about God we're never going to know. We're not even going to know them when we get to heaven. Because if we could know everything there was to know about God, what kind of God would he be, right? Beloved, I know that some of you are just barely, you know, hanging on by a thread. I know that some of you are hurting deeply. Some of you are facing a, a, a tough week in your business. Some of you are, are, are waiting to hear from the doctor about some test you had taken last week. Is it cancerous or is it benign? Some of you are facing a, a difficult family crisis. Listen to me. It's not by accident that you're here today. God brought you here so that he could tell you he loves you, that he cares about you, that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what kind of kidney punches you go through, no matter what kind of crummy things come your way, it doesn't matter what happens today, last week, next week, or all of 2012, God brought you here to say, he chose you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And it brought him great pleasure. And that was the first thing that, that Peter is trying to communicate to these people that were going through just some really, really crummy, crummy times. Number two, when things go wrong, stand strong knowing that God is at work in your life. This is all about sanctification. 
So first Peter immediately deals with salvation. Hey, God chose you. <laughs> You're part of his family. Now he's going to deal with sanctification. Verse 2 says, God the Father knew you and he chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed and are continuously cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Beloved, after God chose you to be a part of his family, he doesn't leave you alone. He begins to do a work in your life. Uh, those of you that are moms, you know, when your baby, you know, boop, came out, you didn't take him into a room, put him in a crib, throw a bunch of, you know, Gerbers in there and some diapers and say, hey, you're on your own. I brought you into the world. Go for it. No. And guess what? The Father doesn't do that with you either. When you invited Jesus Christ into your life, he came into your life. He did exactly what you asked him to do. When you said, Jesus, come into my life, he did. He came into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to do a work in your life. He begins to transform you into the man he wants you to be, the woman he wants you to be. And what is that? He wants you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, none of us are ever going to be like Jesus, but that's the goal, that we become like Christ. And when those kidney punches come, guess what? That's when God's doing his deepest work in your life. And you can feel like, well, God's abandoned me. I saw my dad put up on a pole and, and I heard him screaming. I know my mother was, was ripped to shreds by the lions in, in the Colosseum. My children are in prison simply because... God! And Peter's saying, listen, you were chosen. You're a part of his family. And don't you forget, he's at work. Even during these difficult times, God's at work. There's an incredible transformation that happens in our lives as Christians. God doesn't stop working in your life when things go haywire. And you need to re remember this. Let me tell you something. God's at work in your life. He's at work in your life right now. You may not feel it. Um, I ate breakfast this morning. And when I ate breakfast, I didn't go, yeah, whoa, man, those were good, you know, Fruit Loops. Wow, man, unbelievable. Woo I just ate them. But did it have an impact on my life? Yeah. It gave me a caloric intake so I could, I could work. I could do things. Wasn't anything really exciting about it, really. But it doesn't mean that something wasn't happening. I may not have felt like something was going on, but it was. And oftentimes the Christian life is like that. Well, I don't feel like God's doing anything. Well, okay, I didn't feel like my Fruit Loops did anything this morning either, but they did. And what you need to remember is this, is when those difficult times come, and they'll, they'll come, you remember that God's at work. God hasn't abandoned you. 
He's working in your life. You may feel like he's a million miles away, but, but he's not. Now, beloved, you need to really understand this. When you invite Jesus to come into your life, as I said, he does. He does exactly what you ask him to do. He comes into your life. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your body is a, a temple of, of the Holy Spirit who's in you? And the reason why he wrote that is because some people don't know that. Some of you are so new in the faith, you don't know that when you invited Christ into your life, you became the temple of God. You became the house that God lives in. God, God, the Bible says that God doesn't indwell a building made with man's hands. In other words, when you leave here in a little bit and you go to lunch or whatever, you know, God doesn't float around in this building waiting for you to show up next Sunday. You take God with you wherever you go, if you know him. You've become the very house that God dwells in. Not only does Jesus come into your life, but as I said earlier, he, he begins to work in your life. Listen to what Paul said in, later, uh, earlier in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, don't you realize that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now there's no one of those that is emphasized more than another. And by the way, that isn't a comprehensive list of all the things that will keep you out of heaven. He's just making a point. But I was, as I looked at that list this week, I thought to myself, I used to be at least four of those things. <laughs> Maybe five, depending on how you want to read one of those Greek words. <laughs> Point is, is that, man, we were all messed up, all of us. But I love, you know, verse 11. It says, and that is what some of you were. What happened? But you were washed. It's like God threw you in the washing machine. Put some cheer in it. Put it on the cycle. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, Jesus Christ comes into your life, but he then begins to do work. He's washing us. He's cleansing us. He's doing, you know, he, he's, he's molding us and shaping us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Always. Look, some of you are thinking, Pastor Rick, we've never even talked, and you don't know the problems I'm having right now. You don't, you don't know the tough times I'm in. You're right, I don't. And it really doesn't matter whether I know them or not. You need to understand that God knows them, and he cares deeply about them. In Isaiah 49, it says this, yet Jerusalem says the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says, I wouldn't forget about you. See, I have written your name in the palms of my hand. Isn't that great imagery? Art? God's got your name right here. And when you feel like, man, God's a million miles away and life is dogpiling you, you remember, God 
chose you and it brought him great pleasure to make you a part of his family. And he's working in your life, regardless of how you feel. And that's true for all of us. Regardless of how you feel. He's got your name right there. Psalm 56 says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Beloved, God has kept a record of every tear that has ever flowed from your eyes. He saw the tears that came when you were abused as a child. He saw the tears that came when you were mistreated as a child or a spouse. He saw the tears that came when you were hurt and rejected. He saw the tears that came when you heard about the infidelity of your spouse. He saw the tears that flowed when your business failed. He saw the tears that flowed when you lost your home. He saw the tears that flowed when your teenager went sideways. He saw the, the tears that flowed when your parents went sideways. Beloved, God has kept a record of all your tears and he understands it. Look, Jesus understood pain. He understood sorrow. He was rejected. He was abused. People hurled insults at him. He gets it. The Bible says he's got your name right here and somehow in this great imagery, he's telling us, I, I get it. I know when you're going through crummy times and you just remember that I'm at work. I'm at work during those times. One of the questions I, I'm, I'm asked often is, Pastor Rick, why does God even allow us to go through bad times? Why does God allow us to be kidney punched? And, and I want you to know, I, I don't understand it all. I think you gotta go back to Romans 11 a little bit and go, man, I, I don't get it. On the, the, the logical piece of me, the, the, the hum, human piece of me says, I don't know, that's weird. Why would God allow us as kids to go through these hard times, you know? But verse seven does give us a little taste. Look, look at verse seven. Peter says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is way more precious than, than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God allows these crummy things to happen to us to refine and test our faith. You see, if you take, if I were to take all of the gold that's in this room, you know, 14 karat gold and 10 karat gold or whatever, it's not pure. And I were to put it in a big vat and we added a whole lot of heat to it, finally it would melt and it would bubble and boil and all of the impurities would come to the top and then you just kind of wipe the top off and you just keep adding heat to it and the impurities come and, and wipe the top off and pretty soon you're, you're, you've got 24 karat gold. You've got pure gold. Some of you are in the heat right now. You're in, a, in, a, in an incredible time of testing. And what God is doing, he's purifying you. He's making you into a 24 
carat gold nugget. And that 24 carat gold nugget is Jesus Christ. He's making you into the image of Christ. That's what he's doing. And you need to remember that when tough times come. 15 years ago, some of you were around when I went through just a, a really crummy time. My first wife was killed in an automobile accident, a freak accident, and I had a five-year-old at the time, and they were sitting right down here last night. My wife comes usually on Saturday nights, so and my daughter does. She's 20 now. And that was, <laughs> that was difficult, to say the least. And I would often look through the scriptures and ask God to give me some direction or some encouragement or strength or whatever because I was just so discouraged. <laughs> I would sit in my little house and think to myself, God, what, what are you up to? What's going on? Yes, I struggled. Yes, I was angry. Yes, I had a few conversations with God that I had to repent of later. <laughs> and by the way, God's big enough to handle your conversations with him. Remember when the guys were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was sleeping and, man, the waves came and the wind came and they all thought they were going to sink and die. They, they ran back to Jesus, woke him up, and then they said this, don't you care? And Jesus didn't pop up and go, how dare you ask whether I care or not? <laughs> Jesus' shoulders are big enough to handle you saying, don't you care? I said that a thousand times. Don't you care? It brought God great pleasure to choose me. I remembered that. I was a part of God's family. And I knew God was at work in my life. I couldn't see it all. And I, I remember one day when I know I had heard from the Lord. God spoke through my brother, Jeremiah, and I read these words. Rick, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good, and they're not for disaster. They're plans to give you a future and a hope. And I remember my brother, Jeremiah, he was talking to me. God was at work in my life. I knew it. Well, I, I remarried, and I, I have two children with my new wife. Um, uh, Gracie is uh, in sixth grade, and Cade, my son's in third grade. And my wife was sitting down here, and my oldest son, oldest daughter, and I, and, and I told them, you know, look, I couldn't imagine my life without Cade and Gracie. I couldn't even imagine it. And I know my wife couldn't imagine life without Cade and Gracie. And Megan was down here, and I said, boy, I know Megan just couldn't even imagine our home without, you know, Cade and Gracie. Get ready. <laughs> we don't have those two kids if my wife doesn't die in that car wreck. <laughs> now, am I saying that I'm happy that my wife died? No. I'm not saying that. 
What I'm saying is, is that God is at work in our lives. And when you're going through difficult times, you have no idea what God's got planned. You just need to rest in the truth that he's got a plan and that he is at work. And when it's all said and done, it'll blow your mind. It'll just blow your mind. Beloved, when you get discouraged, when things go wrong, you need to stand strong knowing that God chose you to be a part of his family. And you need to stand strong knowing that he's still at work in your life. And last but not least, let me quickly go through number three. When things go wrong, stand strong knowing that God has secured your future. This is all about glorification. First, Peter immediately deals with salvation. You've been, you've been chosen by God. You're part of his family. Then he talks about sanctification. Hey, listen, God's at work in your lives. And now he's talking about glorification. Look at verse four. Peter says, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you've received this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Beloved, God has given you a, a priceless gift, the gift of eternal life. And once you got it, nobody can take it away from you, not even you. Peter says it's kept in heaven for you. And who's in heaven? Who's, who's doing the keeping? It's God. Peter says it's beyond the reach of change and decay. He says God is protecting you by his power until you receive this incredible inheritance, this gift of eternal life. That's security. I can't lose my salvation once I've got it. Once your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, it can't be erased. Could you imagine if, you know, you gave your life to Christ and God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, cool, and then you sinned? Ho, ho! Hold on. And then, you know, you came to church and repented. Oh, oh you sinned. You, you could never know you were going to heaven. Well, what if somebody, you know, curses God? Look, sometimes our kids, I hate you. Is it still my kid? Yeah. But it brought me great pleasure to bring you into this world, and I love you, and you're part of my family. You can be mad at me, I don't care. We, 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 we can go through some times with God that aren't real good, that we're glad maybe people don't see. You know? <laughs> there are some moments I've had with God that I'm glad no one saw. Times I had to repent. Listen, when you confess your sins to God and invite him into your life, you become a part of his family. He begins a work in your life, and then he secures your future. You're going to heaven someday, Christian. This isn't it. If this was it, I, I wouldn't be here right now. Imagine a 100-yard dash. You know, everybody's in the starting blocks, and the gun goes off. <laughs> Imagine if there wasn't a yellow tape. <laughs> You know, I mean, you got to cross the finish line. Otherwise, you just, I don't know, you guys go ahead. 
There's a line, you, you cross it, that's glorification. That's, I made it. I'm now in heaven with the Lord forever. No longer have to deal with my, my flesh, the sinful nature, the demons, Satan, however all that works. And God says, look, when you know Christ, that priceless gift is secure. I'm sure some of these people that Peter were writing to had denied Christ. Oh, man, listen, man, I don't know Jesus, man. I'm, I'm serious. Don't kill me, please. And I'm sure they felt like, oh, man, did I lose my salvation? And Peter would be the best example at this, wouldn't he? He denied Christ. And he wasn't facing, you know, lions. They didn't have a 357 Magnum up against his head. It was a little peasant girl who said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Uh, not me. I don't know the guy. Are you kidding me? God knows the decision you've made. He knows. And sometimes we may not always live it out all that well down here on planet Earth, but salvation can't be taken from you. Now let me say that's not a license to just go sin and do whatever it is you want to do. God forbid. If that's the attitude you have, then you really don't understand the gospel. In fact, that's the thing that motivates us to want to live a holy life, a godly life. It's how incredibly awesome God is. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He said, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I have the confidence. I know when I take my last breath here on planet Earth, I know where I'm going. I'm going to go be with the Lord. Not because I've lived a perfect life down here. Not because I've never sinned. Not because, you know, I've, uh, I've, uh, you know my grade point average in school or, or the church I go to or because I've given money to the church or gone on missions trips. I know I'm going to heaven because I've invited the Lord Jesus Christ into my life, period. I'm a part of God's family. He's doing a work in my life. And someday when I die, glorification, I'm going to be with him. I know it. I know it. Peter wanted you to know it. He wanted these people that he was writing to to understand this. You don't earn your way into heaven. You simply get there through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you surrender your life over to Christ, he secures your future and nothing can take it away. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter eight. He said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then he lists a few things, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> what else does God have to say so that you would understand that your future is secure? No matter what happens, you don't control it. He does. He does. And there isn't anything that's going to take that away. So let's say these three things out loud together, okay? And I hate to talk about our previous group, but Saturday night and last hour, no good. Please don't say anything to them, okay? Because it was not... <laughs> Let's see if we can do these things out loud together. Here we go. Number one, stand strong knowing that God has chosen me to be a part of his family. It's all about salvation. Number two, stand strong knowing that God is at work in my life. That's all about sanctification. Number three, stand strong knowing that God has secured my future. That's all about glorification. Now, What's Peter's conclusion to these things? Look at verse six. We'll wrap it up right here. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Isn't that good? Now one of the beautiful things that God did was he created this thing called the church a group of Christ followers. And we know that some of you are here, and you know what? Life has got you down, and you can't even think, you can't even pray. You're just struggling. And we have a room called the altar room where the elders of the church, the pastors, the spiritual leaders, we're in there, and there's one, there's an, an altar room over in the venue. And in just a moment, Pastor Scott's gonna pray, and Pastor Jeff's gonna pray over in the venue and our elders are gonna be in there. And we'd love to pray for you. One of, the, one of the works of an elder is this. Our brother James says, when you're sick or you're bummed out or you're discouraged and life's kind of got you down, call for the elders of the church that they might pray. And so we just do what the Bible says. And, and our elders, guess what? We've all fallen down. You're not going to see a bunch of guys in there that have never failed and we don't understand what it's like to be kidney punched. We've all been there. But we'd love to pray for you. Maybe that's what you need to do today. As you're just so down in the dumps, you just need someone to pray for you. Take advantage of the altar room. Do it. Maybe this week you'd take that and those notes and keep your nose in the Word of God, get into the daily meditation page, and let's just see what the Lord might do with all of our lives as we go through this book together. Why don't you stand? Pastor Scott, come on up here and want him to pray. Why don't you close your, close your eyes, okay?